John chapter 19, beginning in verse 31. Therefore, because it was the preparation day, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. And then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things were done that the Scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, They shall look on him whom they pierced. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds, And they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. We we come to the place in the Gospel of John of looking at Jesus' death, the removal of, of Christ from the cross and his burial. Just prior to this, if you remember, Jesus had cried out, it is finished. He cried out with a loud voice and he breathed his last, followed by the, the veil of the, of the temple being torn in two from top to bottom. Separation that was once there between God's people and, and Him, the Holy of Holies, was now torn in two. A centurion who stood opposite of Christ saw that Jesus cried out like this with his last breath, and the centurion responds by saying, Truly, this man was the Son of God. The earth shook trembled. All of these things took place and here is Jesus there upon that cross. Now we just read the narrative of what was taking place. We see what's taking place here as far as here's the Jews, they go to Pilate, the government leader in that particular area and said, can we break his legs? Can we break the legs of these three men? Because it's a custom that, that nobody should stay there upon the cross overnight and into the next day. See, the Romans, they had a custom where they would crucify somebody and they would just leave the body there. They would leave the body there and it, it, it would begin to decay. The birds would come and they would eat the flesh off the bodies, but not the Jews. They had a different custom at that particular time. And, and, and it came from from book of, of Deuteronomy but it specifically said that, that, that they could not stay there upon that cross overnight. 
And so they've asked, can we take him and take these particular people and break their legs that they might be taken away? We see all that is occurring here in this particular narrative. And we might read through it and just think, okay, this is interesting. It's interesting that, that the Jews care so much as far as why is it that they want to break the legs of, of these three people, specifically Christ, upon the cross. And you, you know that, that, that in, at the time of, of, of execution by crucifixion, the people would eventually typically suffocate because they would need to push up on that stake on their feet just to get a breath of air, and then they would fall again, and eventually they would die by expiation. Like they, they, they could not continue to get that breath. And so they would come at that particular time and take a mallet and crush the person's legs, break the bones so that they could no longer push up on that stake and get a breath, and they would die quickly after that. And we could read this and, and, and come about it as, as far as, okay, well, they, they, they broke the first, then they broke the second guy's leg, and now they're, they're here, and, and they didn't go one, two, three. They rather broke one man's legs, then they broke the other person's legs, but they come to Christ, and he's already dead. They see that he's already dead. John tells us, though, that, that in seeing that, that he's not dead, they didn't break his legs. But you find one of the soldiers there, and this is what they do. They, they are people who, who put people to death upon a cross. So they, they know when someone's dead. But John wants us to understand that without a doubt, he died. He says one of the, the soldiers took his spear and just thrust it into the side of Jesus. And blood and water poured forth from his side. And then the narrative continues on and tells us, and, and there was someone by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, and he was a rich man, and he had a tomb that had, no, no one had ever been in before. And they, he asked for the, the body of, of Jesus, and Pilate didn't care. And Pilate gave him the body, and Pilate took the body and, and went. And, and with Nicodemus, they came. Both wealthy men came and, and, and took Jesus from where they would normally take him and just throw him into mass burial site. They, they took him and put him in a tomb. And we might read through this and just think, okay, this is the narrative. This is what took place. But, but there is something far more that's taking place here as we read this particular text. I want to take us back into just one particular story in the book of Exodus. You, you find it, it, at that particular time, you have the people of Israel... They're under Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And they're treated in the most brutal of ways. You, you, you talk about suffering for people. These, these people are suffering as slaves. They're suffering as those that were made to, to make bricks. And they're beaten and they're beaten and they're beaten as they're called upon as slaves to build up all that the Pharaoh wanted them to build up. Brutal for God's people. And you find Moses being called to command the Pharaoh to let my people go. Remember that? So we look at the story and we see that, that the Pharaoh says, will not let the people go. 
And we see a series of plagues hit the people, the Egyptians. Um, There's water that turns to blood. There's frogs that are covering the land. There's lice all over everybody. There's flies that are covering everything. There's livestock that become diseased. There's boils that are covering the people. There's hail that's coming down and destroying everything. There's locusts that come in and eat everything. There's darkness that covers the earth. Darkness covering the land. And we, we find plague after plague after plague after plague that come upon the people. But the tenth plague is one that's not like any of the other ones. You see, God comes to Moses and he says, Moses says to the people, this is what the Lord has said. At about midnight, I will go out into the midst of Egypt and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the animals. And then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. But again, none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And so we see God say, this is what's going to happen. Throughout the entire land of Egypt, the firstborn is going to be put to death. Throughout the entire land. It doesn't matter if it's the Pharaoh's child or if it's the woman, the female servant who's behind the handmill. It doesn't matter who it is, the firstborn in every household will be put to death. There's an executioner that's going to come over and, and, and is going to kill every firstborn in every household. And there are going to be cries throughout all the land. And it's never been like that before and it will never be like that again. Weeping that's going to occur in every household throughout the entire land of Egypt. Now we've looked at at the different plagues that have taken place and every plague that God said, this is what's going to happen. They all happened just as he said. And so here you have people, and this is what Moses has told everybody. The the firstborn in every household is going to be put to death. Exodus chapter 12, in, in, in verse 12, it says... God says, for I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. All the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Now notice that that as we read this, it doesn't say, I will strike all the firstborn, but only amongst the Egyptians. He doesn't say that here. He says, I'm going to... I'm going to strike all the firstborn in all the land of Egypt. All of them.
But then he says something very important for his people. He says, for you, you take a lamb on this particular day, in this particular place, every household, I want you to take a lamb. And not just any lamb. I want you to take a lamb that is without blemish. It has to be one that is without blemish. I want you to, to, to take one that, that is the firstborn, or a male in the first year. I want you to take that one. And then he begins to go through and to tell them, you're going to kill this lamb, and you're going to take the blood of the lamb that's shed, and you're going to take it, and, and, and this is how you're supposed to do this. You're going to take the, the blood of, of, of that lamb, and, and, and you're going to put it on the doorposts in your home. And after you do that, you're to roast the lamb in fire. Don't boil it. Don't eat it raw. Roast it in fire. And then you're going to eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. And you're going to eat the entire lamb on that particular night. And he goes through and he gives them incredible instructions. And, and part of those instructions is, in one house it shall be eaten. Don't carry any of the flesh outside the house. And make sure not one of its bones are broken. Don't let one of the bones of that lamb be broken. And we, we might look at the instruction of God here and think, why all of these details? I mean, here we're about to leave our homes. We're about to go to, to another land. We're, we're going to be chased by the Egyptians. We're going to go through the Red Sea. We're going to go to the Promised Land. That's the direction that we're trying to go towards. And now, on this particular night, when this particular plague comes through, you're going to have a stop. Everybody stays in their house. You're going to kill the firstborn in every house in all of Egypt, but you want us to take a lamb, one that doesn't have spot or blemish or anything like that, and, and you want us to kill it on this day in this particular way, and here's the way it's going to happen. Don't let one of its bones be broken. If you and I were living at that particular time, I think that we would have thought, okay, so what are the directions one more time? Because I want to make sure I get this all right. And I would think that, at least in my brain, at some point I would think, why does that all matter? Like all the details of like, this lamb and this way and on this day and this is how you're to do it and put the blood at this particular place and, and this is how it's all supposed to happen. I, I would have thought, why does it matter? But it did. The reason why it mattered was because all of it was pointing to something that was far greater than saving God's people from the Egyptians. All of it was pointing ahead to the Lamb of God 
who was coming to take away the sins of the world. All of it was pointing to the Messiah, the Savior, Christ, our Lord. All of it was pointing to it, to Him. Picture the instructions given. Take a lamb without blemish. Leviticus gives us a little bit more detail there in chapter 22 where he says that you're to make this, this offering and, and, and it must be perfect in order for it to be accepted. There can be no defect in it. Those that are blind or broken or maimed or have an ulcer or eczema or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord nor make any offering by fire of them on the altar of the Lord. Don't take any animal that has any kind of blemish. Make sure that it is perfect. The reason why was because it was pointing ahead to the Lamb of God. You picture Christ over and over again through this process as we've looked over the last several weeks. We hear people saying, I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him. Peter says in 1 Peter 1.18 that you weren't redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. But with the precious blood of Christ. You were saved. You were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. And then he says, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. You were saved by the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Book of Hebrews chapter 4 tells us in verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but in all points, he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Without sin. The lamb had to be without spot or blemish because it was pointing to the one who was without spot or blemish, Christ, without sin. And the lamb had to be killed. Exodus twelve twenty one says, Moses called for the elders of Israel and said to them, pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. It had to be killed. And the blood of the lamb had to be shed. And the blood had to be placed on the doorpost as a sign. In Exodus twelve thirteen, it says, Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So you picture these people in their homes. Here's the details. This is what you're supposed to do. Get a lamb. It has to be like this on this particular day, and this is going to happen. And just before midnight, this is what's going to happen. But when I see the blood, I'm going to pass over that house. Notice something important. Why did the executioner pass over those houses? Because he saw the blood. He saw the blood. There was still judgment. There was still death. The wrath of God was still being poured out, but it was being poured out upon a substitute. 
And so you picture when it said that, that all the firstborn in the land of Egypt would be killed, destroyed. It was going to happen. Every household, from the pharaoh to the servant girl, every household, every one of them, the firstborn was going to be put to death. Unless, when the executioner came over, he saw the blood on the doorpost. If he saw the blood on the doorpost, he would pass over that particular house. An innocent lamb, without blemish, was already killed in that house for God's people. His blood was shed, and so there would be no reason for wrath to come upon that house because there was already a substitute that was put to death that was without blemish in that particular household. It was all pointing towards Christ. I could picture being in in one of those houses, and I I could picture just maybe I'm the firstborn. I'm not, but let's say I was. And I could picture the fear that would be over me. Dad, are you sure I'm going to be okay? God sent this, and you, you hear screaming. You hear crying. You hear weeping throughout the land. I mean, just household after household. And yet, all of your hope is in the fact that that we took that spotless lamb without blemish. We killed it. We let the blood shed. We took that blood and we put it on the doorpost. And God says when he sees the blood, he's going to pass over that house. And you can imagine, it's getting close to midnight, and all these things are happening, and you hear all of the crying, you hear all of the screaming, you hear all that is taking place like you've never heard ever before. And you're still there. You're still alive. Your house has not been affected. By faith, Your dad, your family, took blood and put it on the doorpost. Hebrews 11.28 says, By faith he kept the Sabbath, referring to to Moses. By faith he kept the Sabbath, or by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, he said, do this. By faith, they put the blood on the doorpost. By faith, they did. It, wasn't, it wasn't any other reason that the executioner passed by. You, you, you have to picture, like, the executioner didn't come over the house and say, what kind of degree do you have? He didn't come over a house and say, well, that's a nice house. He didn't come over a house and look at it and say, this is a sweet family, and they seem like they've done a good job of obeying the rules, the law, over the last week. He didn't come over the house and see anything within the house that made it so that they should be passed over. He simply came over and looked and said, is there blood on the doorpost? In faith, did they put the blood on the doorpost? In faith, 
Was there a lamb without spot or blemish that was killed in this household? And they put the blood on the doorpost. Did they do that? It was by faith. It had to be like this. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without shedding of blood, there is no remission. You may be here this morning, and you're listening to this, and you're thinking like, why God do that? I mean, it seems kind of messed up. You got a lamb, one that's just a year old. You're, you're killing the lamb. You're taking the blood. You're putting it on the doorpost. Every other house, cries and screams are going forward. Children are being killed in every other house. It seems ridiculous to do something like that. And if you lived in that particular day, and you thought that way, beyond a shadow of a doubt, you would have lost your firstborn. Without any doubt. If your faith was such that it's just like, I'm not not buying that. I don't believe that. I'm not going to substitute. I'm not going to do that. God's not going to. He's not going to. I'm I'm not doing that. The wrath of God would have come upon you. You never would have been spared had you not done that. And so we we look at some of the other details that are given. A lamb, blood was shed, blood put on the doorpost, and then they would roast the lamb in fire. It couldn't be boiled. It couldn't be eaten raw. It had to be roasted in fire. The fire represented God's wrath upon the lamb of God. The fire was God's wrath that was placed on Christ. It couldn't be boiled. It couldn't be eaten raw. It had to go through the fire over and over again in Scripture. You see the fire being the judgment of God coming upon. What is hell like? Unquenchable fire. The Bible gives clear detail of it. They were to eat unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Unleavened bread. The leaven represents sin in Scripture. You know, like the saying, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little bit of sin will spread all throughout. And so God says, eat unleavened bread. Picture of separation from sin. And eat bitter herbs representing your sorrow for your sin. And eat the entire lamb on that very night. The blood of a lamb was to be shed, sprinkled upon the doorposts, and then the people were to eat the lamb in its entirety. In the same way, just as they ate the lamb to sustain them for the journey, likewise, it is Christ who sustains us. He sustains us. And so, you picture this taking place. Don't break its bones. Make sure none of its bones are broken. 
So they would take the lamb and they would kill it and they would do everything in such a way and they would eat it in such a way as make sure that you don't just go through and break bones. Make sure that none of its bones are broken when you're eating this lamb. Make sure that you're careful when you eat the lamb. And we've got to eat all of it. And whatever we don't eat has to be consumed with fire by morning time. This is what has to happen. And so you would have had all of these rules that were given. But it was all pointing towards Christ. We read in our text that here the bodies were not to remain there until the Sabbath. So the Jews go to Pilate and say, can we make it so that their legs are broken so that they can be taken away? So the soldiers are told by Pilate to go and to break all of the legs of these three men. But they come to Jesus. And when they come to Jesus, they see that he's already dead. They could have just said, like, well, he told us to break all of their legs. Let's break his legs too. But no, John wants us to be able to see that Christ is our Passover lamb. He wants us to get that. The Holy Spirit wants us to see this. The Holy Spirit set it up so here's the lamb. This is what you're supposed to do without spot, without blemish. This is what you're supposed to do. You're going to kill it. When I see the blood, I'll pass over the house. Make sure you don't break any of its bones. And then we read texts like Psalm 34:20. He guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Numbers 9:12. They shall leave none of it till morning, nor break one of its bones, according to all the utterances or ordinances of, of the Passover. They shall keep it. We think of Deuteronomy 21, 23, where it says, His body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day, so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, for he who is hanged is accursed of God. Make sure that you don't leave his body on that tree overnight. Make sure that he doesn't do that. He's accursed by God. Make sure you don't leave him there overnight. Make sure you bury him that same day. Make sure that it doesn't happen, especially it doesn't carry over into a feast day to the Passover. And so we look at the situation that's occurring and you have John the Baptist seeing Jesus come and he says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You see everybody saying, I find no fault in him. He's without spot. He's without blemish. You see Jesus being led as a lamb unto the slaughter. You see all of these things taking place, and you see him there upon that cross on that particular time, on the exact dates that they were supposed to present the Passover lamb. On the, that exact same day is when Jesus is there, and he is being crucified on the same day in which the Passover lamb was to be killed because God gave clear details in the book of Exodus of the day in which the Passover lamb was to be killed. And here's Jesus there upon the cross, the lamb of God. And he's there and his blood has been spilled. Tons of ways to execute somebody. You could hang them. You could drown them. You could choke them. You could do all other kinds of things as far as how it is that you're going to kill that particular person. But you have Christ there with nails through his hands and a nail through his feet. And he's there and his blood is being shed. You can see it where 
his legs should be broken. They broke the other guy's legs, but they come to Jesus and no, they don't break his legs. He is the Passover lamb. He's the Passover lamb. We, we see Christ as our offering, our sacrifice. Ephesians 5.12 says, Christ also loved us and gave himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. You find it in Romans chapter 3 and verse 25 where it says that God set forth Christ as the propitiation, the payment by his what? His blood. Through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He is the Passover lamb. You see him there and he's hanging upon the cross and his legs are not broken because he is the Passover lamb. So the soldiers break the commandment of the command of Pilate. But then one of them just goes and says, well, I'm going to throw my spear through his side. And so he takes his spear and he, he throws it into the side of Jesus. And blood and water pour forth. Why? I mean, if he's already dead that you don't need to break his legs, why throw the spear into his side? Because Zechariah 12.10 says, and I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and then they will look on me, whom, what? Whom they pierced. They will look upon me, whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son and grieve for him who grieves for his firstborn. They will do that. They will look on me whom they pierced and they will weep. Inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication and they will look on him whom they pierced. It wasn't just that the guy decided, I'm going to throw the spear into his side. Maybe he decided it, but it was determined beforehand. He is the lamb. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7, it says, Behold, Christ is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. We see the final fulfillment of that in Revelation 1-7. They will look on him whom they pierce and they will mourn. And so now we find that Jesus is going to go to be buried. Joseph of Arimathea, prominent council member, went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Mark 15-44 says that, that Pilate marveled that he was already dead. How is he already dead? How is he already dead? And he asked him if he had 
been dead for some time. And so he found him. When he found out from the centurion that he was already dead, he gave the body to Joseph. They bought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen and laid him in a tomb which was hewn out of the rock and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53 for a moment. Again, we're just reading the narrative. But something bigger is happening. In Isaiah 53, you find that details are being given of Christ, the Messiah, who is to come. Details are being given of what? A substitute. Just as you have the Passover lamb, and when I see the blood, I will pass over their sins. As I, as I, as I see the blood, I'll pass over that house. Likewise, here you see a substitute. Look at verse 4 of Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for what? For our transgressions. He was bruised for what? For our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a what? As a lamb to the slaughter. And as his sheep before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Now just stop in there for a second. You look and you might have the same feeling like, but that doesn't seem right. He, he was... He was wounded for our transgressions? There's someone that was wounded for our sins? Our iniquity, iniquity was placed upon him? Just like the person who looks at the lamb and says, why kill the lamb without spot or blemish? Why put the blood on the doorpost there in Egypt? How come when he sees the blood, he passes over that house? And it's all pointing to the fact that there was another one who was going to come, the Lamb of God, and he was going to carry our sins. Our iniquity was going to be placed upon him. Our sins, our transgressions placed upon him. So how do you know that it's him? Look at at verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked. He's got, he's got two thieves that are next to him. They have graves ready for them. But with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. At his death, he's buried with the rich. Joseph of Arimathea, 
Nicodemus with all his spices and all these things. They take him from the cross. They go and take him to a tomb, one that has never been had anybody in, and, and, and a tomb that is made for a rich man with a hundred pounds of spices. And this is what they do. He is buried like the rich. Why? So that we would come back and look and see, just in our narrative today, because I'll tell you, like, you know, as we've been going through this, this is, we're talking about three things. We're talking about three things out of hundreds. Just this morning, just in our text this morning, you're looking and you're saying, his bones weren't broken. He was pierced. And he was buried with the rich. And all of these are pointing to the fact that he is the lamb, that Passover lamb, that became our lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If, if you think this through, the people in Israel, by faith, put the blood on the doorposts. And the wrath of God pass over them. I see the blood, I'll pass over that house. And you think of us today. How does salvation come? Does God look down and look into our household and see, what degree do you have? How much money do you have? Is your house small or is it big? How well have you obeyed my commandments today? Does he go over our houses and look at that? No. No. He goes over and he says, has the blood of Christ been placed upon them? In faith, do they appropriate the the blood of Christ and say, my only hope of avoiding the executioner is the precious blood of Christ that was spilled on my behalf. And by faith, placing all of our hope in the precious blood of Christ that was spilled for us. I think of Paul was imprisoned. Silas. And there's a great earthquake that takes place when they're in prison. The foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately the doors were open and the chains, everyone's chains were loosed. And the, the keeper of the prison woke up from his sleep and he saw that the prison doors were open and supposing the prisoners had fled, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Our chains fell off, the doors have been opened, but don't, don't drive that sword through yourself, we're all here. And then he called for a light and ran in and and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all of his family were baptized. They were baptized. So what is... What does he say to him? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. How is it that we're saved? By placing our hope in the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. By placing our faith in a Lamb without spot, without blemish, that was our substitute. By Placing our faith in God, the Son, who humbled himself and became a man and fulfilled all of the promises that were given, all of the prophecies that pointed ahead to him so that you and I would be here on a morning like this, just like the, the millions of saints that have gone before us. And we read something like this and say, a spotless lamb without sin whatsoever. He was nailed to a cross and and when they came to break his legs, they stopped for he was already dead. But one of them took the spear and pierced his side because it said he'd be pierced. And then Joseph of Arimathea asked for his body and buried him in a rich man's tomb. Blood and water poured forth from his side. Precious blood of Christ shed for us. Water symbolizing just purification poured out whatever it was. There's different theories of why it is that blood and water came. It, it could have been that his heart ruptured under the midst of all of the stress. But I don't think that's John's main point here. The main point is he died. And blood and water poured forth. His blood was shed for us. And we, on a morning like now, see those particular three prophecies that are given in this particular text and say, he is our Passover lamb. Just as the wages of sin is death and, and that the firstborn in every household would be put to death, the wrath would hit every household unless there was blood upon the doorpost. Likewise for us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wrath of God will come upon all of us unless there is a substitute. And the substitute has to be without spot or blemish. And the substitute has to be one who fulfilled all righteousness. And the substitute has to be one who is able to make it so that his righteousness is placed on our account. And he has to be one who is able to carry our sins, to take our transgressions, to take our iniquities upon himself. The substitute has to be the Lord Jesus Christ. He has to be. And may today be the day in which we have just the greatest hope in our Savior. We're about ready to sing a song that came from an old hymn. But the lyrics of the song sing, there is a 
fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood loose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there have I, though vile is he, wash all my sins away. Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. And ever since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. The precious blood of Christ pouring forth from our Passover lamb, Christ Jesus our Lord, will be our theme And shall be till we die. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are so thankful for the cross. We're so thankful for you fulfilling all that was necessary for us to have a substitute, a perfect substitute, so that your wrath would never, ever, ever come upon us. You became sin for us so that we would never have to experience your wrath. And by faith, just as they would put the blood upon the doorpost. By faith, we must hope and believe and trust in you, Lord, in your precious blood that was shed for us. How is it that we might be saved? By believing in you, Christ. By faith in you, Christ. By believing that you were that perfect substitute that every one of us needed. Precious blood of Christ flowing from our Savior upon that cross. May that be our theme. May that be our life. May that be our hope. May that be everything that we cling to until we die. And just as surely as you passed over every house that had blood on the doorpost, we know that you will pass over us because there is no reason for your wrath to come upon any one of us if the wrath has already been placed upon you. Thank you for being the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And all his people said, amen.